Good morning, LaSalle. Hello there. It's Laura Truex. I'm coming to you from uh, my home. Uh, we have a, a home office here and uh, I am been here for eight weeks, just like you guys have been there for eight weeks. Um, surrounded by all these books that I really have been wanting to read and people, surrounded by people. Not a lot of people, just a couple of people. Uh, two of our sons and daughter-in-law are with us and quarantining with us, so very nice to see you. I know things are getting a little weird now, aren't they? We've been spending a lot of time alone. Week eight of our remote isolation, and I don't know about you, but it's beginning to show on us. Today we're trying some different things. We recognize that what we really miss is each other the pleasure of chit-chat and random hugs. And so we're trying to figure out ways of bringing that Sunday engagement into this live stream. So you had different people welcoming us to church today and another blessing us as we depart, along with some video clips and uh, different ways of engaging throughout this sermon. So give us some feedback. Give us your thoughts on this. We're eager to know. We're all wondering, of course, when this is going to be over. And uh, the stress and this worry is starting, I think, to weigh on us a little bit. Our questions, our suspicions are kind of highlighted. Last week, uh, Lucas told us that we're taking part in this larger facility. Uh, it's a study being done by, by uh, Salesforce on the impact of our ministry. And uh, so far, only a fraction of us have actually uh, done the survey yet. Although everybody has an opportunity, okay, every Wednesday in the Wednesday e-news, there is a link to click. Um, but I just want to bring this up and, and highlight a couple of uh, information about us, little tidbits on us. One, you can see that as of today, um, we've had 84 people respond and 65% uh, of us say that we are stressed uh, on a rating of 1 to 10. We are uh, saying we're at least seven or above. That's significant, isn't it? 26% of us uh, are, um, are feeling lonely, and 27%, almost a little bit more than a quarter of us, um, believe that our jobs are at risk. So this is a very real thing. Um, these are not the statistics of strangers, right? This is us, a slice of us. Um, we would love to have that be more robust, so Please, on Wednesdays, just jump online to the, uh, the COVID-19 survey there and get your data in there. We'll be able to track this over time. On Wednesday of this week, uh, Julie uh, hosted a call with our some college students from LaSalle. Not all of them could be on the call, but a number of them. And we were uh, sitting around the Zoom call asking them about how life had changed and I mean, think about it. A college student, you're on the cusp. You're stretching your wings, soaring, right, into the unknown. So we asked him a couple of questions, or she did. And one of them was, what do you fear? And one said, you know, I have the fear of being locked up all day, every day. It feels like there is this endless loop that will never come to an end. I thought that was real. A few of them on the call had talked about how when you move into college, uh, the big life task is to learn how to orient yourself, how to actually get stuff done, right? Without anybody telling you to get stuff done. That's the big hurdle um, from that high school to college window. And so one of the young men said, you know, I've done it pretty well. I've, I've 
got a schedule. I check off the boxes of what I want to achieve. He said, no, all that's taken from out from under me, and I'm at home, and uh, I have to ask myself, huh, is watching Netflix all day a good use of my time? And there was this long pause. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah, we're all learning new things, aren't we? Um, today in John 20, verse 19, we're told that the disciples are locked in this room because of fear. How completely relevant, right? Locked in our own homes as we are. We're locked in because a pandemic is raging. For them, they are locked and afraid because of religious leaders, we're told. But I also, also kind of wonder if maybe they're frightened about seeing the man who has risen from the dead, the return of Jesus. We're told that Thomas hadn't been with the others who had gotten a glimpse of the risen Lord. The stories of Jesus' sightings, as we heard last week, had been nonsense to many of them. And we're also pointedly told that um, Thomas uh, had been isolated from the group. Um, and there's a part of me that wonders, what does that do to a person? Because Thomas is very specific here in this passage about what it would take for him to believe. What it would take for him to feel certain that Jesus is in fact risen from the dead. It's almost like he's started to mull things over as if maybe he put up his own defense system. What would it take for me to believe? Well, I don't know. It would take more than just seeing him. I tell you what, I won't believe until I literally have touched his hands and put my fingers into his wounds. And for that comment, Thomas gets the moniker Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas? <laughs> Sounds like reasonable Thomas to me, right? Honest Thomas. Thomas knows that there is no particular virtue in gullibility, that there's no particular virtue in saying, I believe, when in fact you don't believe. No, Thomas to me is a man who refuses to say, I understand, when I don't understand. He refuses to pretend to believe when he didn't. He's a guy who has enough integrity to be authentic about his doubts. Hmm. Well, what about us? Are we at that same place of honesty? With ourselves, with God, with one another? Behind our own locked doors, are there still places that we're hiding? Are there still things that we're hiding, either from Jesus or from others? Are you professing religious answers you know you don't really believe? Maybe because you think that's the right answer that people are looking for? You know, we asked the college students how they were making sense of this time. Listen to the honesty, unguarded honesty captured in these responses. And by the way, I, of course, reached out to get approval, but just listen to how Josh Blim, at a particular window of time, gives voice to what he's thinking and feeling, and Helen Campbell and what she is thinking and feeling. Let's listen. I would be lying if I was to say that I'm 
hearing a lot. I'm kind of blessed uh, that I've got a family that's loving and supportive and I'm in an area that has, is supplied with food. Um, I, I currently don't have too many fears. I think us as a nation, we're gonna get over this. I think we have the right systems in place to kind of get out of this situation that we're in. Um, and I know I'm coming from a place of privilege that I have that comfortability with me. So um, it's hard to say I have too many fears or doubts currently. Thank you. Yeah. I think for me, it's been less of a question of whether or not God loves me and more of a question of what on earth is God's plan in all of this. And I don't like it. And like, why is it something that I don't like? Um, does I mean, the past two years for me have been just really rough. And I think I talk with my mom about this. Like, we just don't, we have a hard time seeing where God is in all that and where his plan is. Because the scriptures, you know, promise that his plan is good. And I don't see how what's happened has been good. Um, and so it's kind of a challenge for me to remember that it's okay to put it in God's hands and okay to trust that somehow he's going to make something good out of all of this. You see, it all belongs. It all belongs. The, the rousing recognition of blessing that Josh knew so acutely right then and the stark honesty of, I don't even like this plan. But do we believe it all belongs? You, me. In verse 26, it's powerful to me that Thomas has stayed engaged in this whole process. He hasn't checked out. We're told specifically he is still with the group. You know what it's like when you're rolled by doubt, don't you? I mean, the book of James gives that great description that the person who doubts is like being adrift at sea with the waves crashing over them. We don't like that feeling of doubt. We don't like that feeling of uncertainty, of conflicting information, of challenging experiences. In fact, we'll do everything to try to keep those things at arm's distance. We are hardwired for congruity. There's a psychological reward in congruity. And it's so great that we'll think, I am not going to deal with that. I will refuse to consider that. I will not let this even in the door. I'm tuning it out completely and I will not ask what it means. But that's not good enough for Thomas. He doesn't want a faith that's half-baked. Or this only filled with the good stuff? You know, in one of the Zoom calls on the Happy Holy Half Hour, we were talking about this text a little bit. And, and what does it mean, actually, to stay in the room when there's ambiguity and challenge and change and maybe even conflict? We thought about how hard it is to stay in a relationship when you're hurt or feel sidelined, or left out, or let down. I would love to see a show of hands of how many households have had at least one person storm out of the dinner table or out of the room from a heated conversation in these past few weeks. Please, it's got to be more than us. 
or how many other households maybe have stayed in the room in person but have totally fled emotionally. You know, my husband and I have joked over the many years that we have really one repeating argument. For the past 30 plus years of married life, there's really one thing that we keep orbiting around or one framework, one way of behaving that we keep orbiting around in a conflictual way. That used to be a joke. But now that we're with each other 24-7, there's no real joking about it. We're realizing if we want to have a relationship that can flourish in the midst of these kind of conditions, then we've got to talk seriously about stuff. Stuff that we've been avoiding. Stuff that we've put on the back burner. We cannot pretend to play nice. We have to be honest. We have to get to the bottom of some stuff. And we have to integrate that truth going forward. Thomas needed a faith that was going to be big enough for his life. Don't we need that too? Don't we need that in our relationships, in our families? A framework that's big enough to include it all. I mentioned this a few months ago. The poet Christian Wyman, I'm on a kind of a Christian Wyman jag right now. But when he returned to the Lutheran faith of his upbringing, he didn't return to the faith of him as a 12-year-old confirmand, just out of confirmation class, he returned to his faith as a 50-plus-year-old man, a man who had been diagnosed with incurable cancer, a man who had had failed relationships, who had been fired from jobs, who had felt the pain of years of going unpublished. He, he, he needed something that was going to bring all that in because he's learned at 50 plus years of age that you can pray day and night for a cure and it may never, ever come. And you can storm the halls of heaven for a better job, a, a job where you're more fulfilled, more respected, and years later you can still find yourself in this kind of dead-end profession you started with. He needed a faith that could include that. We can't have these lives that we want, these religious convictions or marriage or a life, a flourishing life, where it's always up and to the right, like on the graphs. But one thing we do have to do, we have to stay engaged. We have to stay honest. We have to say authentic. You have to be in the room, in the conversation. We have to have these habits that we just keep doing. One of our youth, Jonathan Swain, a student at the School of the Art Institute, came to that exact expression of phrase earlier this week. Let me just show you what he had to say. I guess the biggest takeaway I've had with faith is that regardless of, of any of its various manifestations, it's a product of habit, no matter what. And it's not necessarily something you can do where it's once every or once you're in times of, I guess, struggle or in times of hardship, it's not necessarily that 
you can just address it then and then not worry about it regardless whenever else. It's a part of the consistent habit, no matter if you are in a strong connection or not. So this is what Jonathan is committed to doing. Here's what Jesus is committed to doing. He's committed to keep showing up. It was never about Thomas's faith or his lack of it. It wasn't about what he believed or his doubts. Thomas just had to be in the room. He had to get past his hurts, his ego, and whatever else that might have kept him outside. The what ifs, the why nots, why them and not me, the feelings of being sidelined. He had to move past that. He had to be in the room. But that was all he had to do. Just be honest in the room. Jesus was going to take care of everything else. Let's look at the text, verse 27. It's on the eighth day. And that phrase, the eighth day, let me just say it again if you've not heard me say this before. Those baptismal fonts of the early centuries all the way through the Middle Ages, they were formed generally with eight sides on them. The eighth day was God's time. And people believed that when you were baptized, you entered into a new framework of time. So on the eighth day, I love that little detail here in John 20. On the eighth day, when the fullness of time was at hand, when the time is right, Jesus appears in this liminal state, right? Where the old is going away and the new is not yet revealed. He comes not when there's certainty, but when there's faith seeking understanding. As one of the great saints of the church, Saint Anselm said, faith seeking understanding. He comes into the lock room with his attention fixed on Thomas. And he offers Thomas the opportunity to get exactly, almost word for word, what Thomas thought he wanted. Go ahead, buddy. Touch my hands, feel my wounds, see my side. And in that moment, Thomas realizes he didn't actually need any of that. He didn't need the proof of Jesus' wounds. He didn't need to touch the scars. Jesus had him at his gaze. And under the look of Jesus, Thomas stops looking at himself and what he perceives he needs and fixes his look, his gaze, right back on Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this morning, let's do what Thomas did, what Helen did, what Josh did, what Jonathan did. Jesus stands right here now in the closed rooms of wherever you find yourself, inviting us to look at him, to fix our attention on him in the same way he fixed his attention on Thomas. He's asking us, bring me your doubts. 
Bring me your fears. Bring me your whispered hopes. Bring me the rejected parts. Bring me the faith that you wish was better. Bring me the understanding that you wish was clearer. Bring me those experiences you can't explain, those emotions you want to refute. Don't run from them. Don't try to hide them. Just let me fix my attention on you. And you fix your attention on me. This morning, in this gift of technology, we have the amazing Rob and Bethany Clearfield coming to us from their home in Paris, France, and singing a song that some of you have heard them sing here before, American Tune. And I invite you, while they're singing that song, that if it feels right, if you feel comfortable with this and willing to do this, how about putting in that live stream chat right there on the YouTube channel? How about sharing something that's on your heart? Something that is keeping you up? Something that you are um, perplexed by, confused by, saddened by? Something that is weighing you down that you would like to just put out there? Maybe it's doubts. Maybe it's uncertainties or anger or sadness. But allow us, if again, if it feels right, allow us to hold that with you. Allow us to be with you in the room the way the disciples were with Thomas in the room. All together with Jesus showing up in our midst. And if that doesn't feel comfortable, no problem. Maybe join us sometime this week on a 4 o'clock Zoom call. Lucas will give you the details on that. It's on our website. Join us for that. Join us in the morning or this week, this coming week, we have an evening reflection. So join us on a Tuesday night and, and let us just be church with one another. Because sisters and brothers, we're all in this room together. Jesus included. May the peace of Jesus be yours. Amen.